Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I have been presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of the will of God, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in the previous broadcasts, I have been focusing on the will of God in the context of the description of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. As a result of the death of Christ Jesus on the cross, we have received an inheritance. We have received an awful lot from our God. In fact, we have received everything that we need for life and godliness as a result of what he has done for us. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that our growth and our maturity in Christ is also a matter of discovering what we already have and being able to apply that in our daily lives as we interact with the world around us. That a Christian's growth, a believer's growth in their relationship with the Lord Jesus and their maturity in the faith, the development of their very being, does depend significantly on a person's discovery and on a person's understanding of what they have already received in Christ Jesus. Because in most cases, what we tend to do as new believers is we tend to spend an awful lot of our time effort and focus on trying to obtain things from God, not really understanding what we already have in Him, what He really came to give, what He really came to present to us and to give us so that we would have everything that we need for life and godliness. These are things that we already have in Christ Jesus, and our discovery of what we have and how they are to be applied is a very important part of our growth in the Messiah. This is what I was referring to in the previous broadcasts. For example, I was referring to the forgiveness of sins in the previous broadcast and explaining that we have been completely forgiven. There are many people in Christianity today who have no idea about the forgiveness that they already have and devote a significant amount of their Christian life to trying to obtain forgiveness from God or trying to sustain their right standing with God, not understanding that the sin issue between them and God is completely over. That when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and said that it was finished, he really did die for the sins of the world and it really is finished. There is nothing more to do for sin. There is nothing more that you can do. There is nothing more that he will do. The sin issue between you and God is over. And this is a vital and critical point to get past because it truly is not possible for a person to grow in their relationship with the Lord when they're still stuck on this subject. The forgiveness of sins is vital to moving on into the total inheritance that you have already received and experiencing the benefit of it. The complete forgiveness of sins has been described very well in the scriptures. For example, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, Paul wrote, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
Also in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You already have the forgiveness of sins. This is something that you have as a result of his death, of course. This is not something that you try to obtain. This is not something that you try to get. This is not something you need to try to obtain on a daily basis or on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis. This is what you already have if you are born again a child of God. If you have salvation, then you have the forgiveness of sins. Again, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He is the propitiation, the complete satisfaction for our sins. The sin issue between us and our God is over, and not just for us, but for the whole world, for everyone, for everyone who has ever lived. The sin issue came to an end when the Lord Jesus died on the cross. What people will normally ask when considering forgiveness to this level, to this depth, however, is people will ask, well, then why is it that the whole world is not saved? And the reason why this question comes up is because in most cases people are teaching that salvation is the forgiveness of sins or that forgiveness of sins is salvation. It is your salvation if you thank the Lord, if you appropriate that forgiveness for you. And so this is where the confusion comes from. It comes from the fact that many people have a very poor understanding of what salvation is. But it is true that the Lord Jesus did die for the sins of the whole world to include those who are lost. In fact, when we refer to those in the world, we're normally referring to those who are lost. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he refers to not only our sins with respect to those of us who are saved, but also for the whole world to include those who are lost. But this is the important point, and that is that salvation is not the forgiveness of sins. Most people are teaching that that is the case, but I see no evidence for that in the scriptures at all. What I see is that the forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible. And the reason why I say that is because in most cases people have no idea really what salvation is. Salvation is not just about getting your sins forgiven. Salvation is resolving the problem that existed between man and God when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And that was not just a matter of sin. There was a penalty for sin, and that was the absence of life. You see, when Adam and Eve were originally created, they were created in such a way that the Lord God would be able to indwell within them. When he made man in his image, he breathed within man the breath of life, which was his very spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, was breathed within humanity, and we became living beings in the sense that we were alive to our God. Because we not only had a physical life, but we had a spiritual life, the Spirit of God indwelling within us, which is the life of God, then gave us life. And so when we had that life, we were then able to experience a personal, intimate relationship with our God because we were alive to him. That's what Adam and Eve had. But in accordance with the law of sin and death, that in the day that they ate from the wrong tree, they would surely die. In that day, at that very moment, they most certainly died. The death that they experienced was the absence of the life of God that had been breathed within them, not their physical life, but a spiritual life. And so when that occurred, the Holy Spirit of God departed from within them, and they were dead to their God, and yet very much alive to the world. That was the fundamental problem between man and God, was that we were no longer then able to function as God created us to function, because we were no longer alive. 
we no longer had the very spirit of life indwelling within us. This is a critical point to understand, because if you don't understand this, then you're not going to understand salvation. Salvation is about restoring that life. It is about restoring the life of God that had been lost in Adam and Eve. That is what salvation is about. It is not the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible, but it certainly is not salvation. What I mean by that in the sense that it makes salvation possible is that once we receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, the life of God that had been lost in Adam and Eve, once we receive that in accordance with the law of sin and death, if we were to sin again, then we would lose that life and we would become spiritually dead once again. And because the Lord Jesus is not going to come and die for our sins again like he did before, there would be no hope of ever entering into the kingdom of God. There would be no hope of ever experiencing a relationship with your God again. And so when the Lord Jesus died for our sins, he died for all sin. It was necessary for him to do that. So when he restores within us the spirit of life, there is no sin that will cause that life to leave. Therefore, the life that we receive within us is an eternal life or an everlasting life, something that we can experience right now, today, and will carry us on into eternity even after we physically die. That is a life that will remain eternally, that will fundamentally resurrect us from the dead here and now, and will carry us on into the kingdom of heaven after we pass from this life into the next through the physical death that we will all experience in one way or another. And so salvation is about the restoration of life, and the forgiveness of sins is what makes that possible. Paul explained this very well in Romans chapter 5, between verses 8 and 11. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, he wrote, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see what he says there in verse 9? Much more than having now been justified by his blood. Much more than just being justified, you now have the opportunity to be saved from wrath through him. Going on into verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, through his death, we were reconciled to him, and through his life, through the restoration of life, through the giving of eternal life, we are saved. How much more, having been reconciled by the death of his son, you shall be saved by his life. Salvation is about the restoration of life. And in accordance with these passages that I've referred to, we have the forgiveness of sins. That is something that you have if you are a child of God. You already have that, and that is a done deal. That is an issue that is completely resolved. But much more than that, you also have the restoration of the Holy Spirit, the restoration of the Spirit of life. And in that, you also have salvation. It's very important to understand this. You have salvation as a result of his death. This is something that he has given to you freely, and this is your inheritance as a result of his death through the invocation of his will, of the will of God. You are now saved. If you receive this free gift, of course, this is something that you have to receive. It is something that is being freely offered to you as the free gift of salvation, and you must receive that by simply expressing thanks for what he has already done for you, thanks for what he has offered to you, and receive that 
receive him into your heart, and in that way you will be saved. Once you have salvation, you have salvation. There is no question about this whatsoever. Consider Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You have salvation. I'm emphasizing this point because there are many people that do not believe that they have salvation. There are many Christians who do not really believe that they have salvation. They think that perhaps they will obtain salvation if they're lucky, if they're fortunate, if they're one of the chosen. That's what people are taught regularly on a daily basis throughout the world, that they may not have salvation. They may have salvation, but they may not. In many cases, there's a sincere question, there is a sincere aspect of doubt that exists because of the things that are being taught or because of the things that people believe. This is a very real issue and a very real concern in the Christian community today, and that is that people don't really believe that they have salvation. They're wondering if maybe they're one of the chosen of God who will be saved, or if they're one of those who are appointed to wrath and they will go to hell. They have no idea. Because of the uncertainties of what people are teaching, there is no way to truly know on the basis of those doctrines. And so given that, there is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of confusion. Some people are teaching that if you still sin in your daily life or perhaps once a week or something, then there is a question as to whether or not you are really saved, and we don't really know. Some people are teaching that no one is really going to be saved, but they're going to go into this holding pattern, and when they go into this holding pattern after they die, then the only way that they'll make it into heaven is if we pray for them and pray them out of this holding pattern. These are the kinds of things that people are teaching, not understanding what salvation is, certainly not understanding that we have salvation. But I'm telling you, my friend, that if you have received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life that has been offered, you have salvation. This is something that you do have, and you are to now live your life not with the hopes that you might obtain it, but you are to live your life trusting, relying on, and having faith in the truth that these are things that you already have. When we do sin, what do we do? Well, there's nothing that we can do. There is certainly no question that we are going to sin in our daily lives, but understand that it is so evil, it is so wicked, that it requires the death of God in order to compensate for that. And he's not going to come and die for us again. He did that already. And so now what we have is we have an advocate. And the Lord Jesus is our advocate who advocates on our behalf whenever we sin, just simply declaring or proclaiming the truth that that is a sin that he already died for, in this case, 2,000 years ago. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. We have someone who is dealing with our sin on our behalf. It is not something that we are to be concerned with. The reality that we have received the life of God that had been lost in Adam is throughout the scriptures. There are many passages in scriptures that reveal this important fundamental truth. I sincerely encourage you to go through the scriptures and look for words such as life and eternal and see what those passages have to say to you, especially the subject of life. It is throughout the scriptures. 
Consider, for example, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You must have the Spirit of Christ in dwelling within you, otherwise you are not his, and you are not a child of God. But because you have received the free gift of life, if you are saved, then this is something that you already have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is how we grow. This is how we are to live. We are to live and grow and rely on the truth that we have received the Spirit of God and He is relating to us and showing us, guiding us and leading us into the truth of what we already have in Him, what He has freely given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Understand the importance of this. If you have your God indwelling within you, if you have the Spirit of God indwelling within you, the implications of this are incredible, absolutely huge. There is no limit to the depth and the appreciation and the application of the reality of this truth. Let me give you an example. We as people struggle with acceptance. To a great degree, it is a need that we have deep within us. We have a need within us, a desire within us to be accepted by others. There is nothing wrong with this need. It is a very important need. It is a very important desire. It is something that we are to appreciate, that we are to cling to, that we are to embrace. It is not something that we need to just push aside and say, well, gosh, if I only did not have a need for acceptance then it would set me free from so many problems in my life. Yes, certainly, we encounter many problems in our life as a result of our desire for acceptance. We will have a tendency to be dishonest and lie to people about who we are or what we have done or what we intend to do just in order to obtain acceptance. We will have a tendency to deceive people by pretending to be someone that we are not with hopes that they will accept us because we don't believe that they will accept us for who we are and maybe they won't really accept us for who we are. And so we will tend to deceive them and pretend to be someone that we're not with hopes that we might be able to obtain their acceptance. We can commit many sins out of our desire to be accepted. We will make many choices in our life. We will make many decisions in our life on the basis of wanting to obtain acceptance from someone else. And in most cases, this leads to sin. That's the problem. The problem is not the desire for or the need for acceptance. The problem is how we go out into our daily lives with hopes that we might be able to obtain it from the world around us, from the people around us, from the things that we might be able to acquire That is what leads us to sin. But if your God indwells within you, if the Spirit of God resides within you, if the Creator of the universe is living within your very being and has promised that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you because of what He's already done for you, that He has given Himself to you, understand that. Your God has given Himself to you. Who he is, his very being is now indwelling within you with the promise that he is never going to leave you again. 
This is a description of his acceptance. He accepts you. He accepts you so much that he has taken up residency within you, and he has promised that he will never leave you, and he never will. When you consider relationships that you have had with other people, or that you have seen others have with other people, and when those relationships are broken, that is normally a result of they're no longer willing to accept one another. That was because a point arrived in their life experience when they decided, you know what, I'm no longer going to accept this. I'm no longer going to accept you, and I'm out of here, and I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to have a life somewhere else apart from you, and I'm not going to have anything to do with you at all, or maybe a little bit, but certainly not to the degree that I used to. That is an expression of rejection. That describes a person's lack of acceptance for someone else, and this certainly hurts people who are receiving that rejection a great deal because it digs deep and it hurts us at the very core of our very spirit, at the very core of our very being. But understand that if your God indwells within you and He has promised that He will never leave you and He will never reject you. If this is what you have in your relationship with God, then if you were to trust in this and rely on this, then it would dramatically change everything about your life experience. It would completely transform everything about who you are. When you consider the fulfilling aspect, the fulfilling nature of being completely accepted by your God. It's one thing to be accepted by your neighbor. It's one thing to be accepted by your spouse, or to be accepted by your children, or to be accepted by your parents. It's one thing to be accepted by people who are sinful, just like any other. But it's something else to be accepted by the true, righteous, holy, living God, Creator of this universe. I'm talking about the Big G. The heavenly Father, the God who has made and established all things by the very power of His Word, this is the one who is indwelling within you, who is living with you, who is engaging now this world and this life that you are going to live with you. This is an acceptance that you can rely on, and when you do, it will transform everything about who you are. Because instead of engaging the world, instead of engaging others on the basis of trying to obtain acceptance from them, which they certainly are never going to be able to give, not to the extent that you certainly need, when you trust and rely on what you already have, it dramatically changes the way that you interact and interface with others. No longer on the basis of trying to obtain what they do not have, but now on the basis of what you have already received from your God. And trust me, when you engage the world around you with the acceptance that you have from your God. And you are no longer bound to trying to obtain acceptance from them, then it will dramatically change how you interact with them, and it is unlikely that you will be sinning against them, at least in the ways that you were, because of the fulfilling aspects of what you have been given by your God, from your God, His very being, because of what He has already done for you, as it has been described and invoked in the context of His will, His will for your life. Is an inheritance, and His will is for you to be accepted by Him, and to live your life and engage this world around you on the basis of the acceptance that He has already given to you. That is transforming. That is life changing. Do not underestimate the power of this truth. Your God accepts you perfectly, and this is not a small issue. This meets the very deepest need of who you are as a person. 
of who you are as a creation of your God. He created you for the sole purpose of being totally, absolutely, unconditionally accepted, and He is the only one who exists in this universe and the universes beyond. He is the only one who exists and who will ever exist who will meet that need. He made you for this purpose alone so that He Himself could reach out to you and meet the very deepest needs that you have. To fulfill the very deepest part of who you are. That was why you were made. You were made for this purpose. You will never experience peace and rest in your being until you rest and trust in this. Until you finally accept and believe the truth that is being conveyed here. And until you finally walk in your daily life in accordance with this reality. Until then you will never be at peace with yourself with your God or with the world that you are engaged with. There is no way around this. There is no alternative. Your God accepts you perfectly, and he is not ashamed to call you his brother, as was described by the writer of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. He is not ashamed of you at all. Why? Because of what you have done or what you have not done? No, only because of what he has done for you and because of what he has given to you. He is not ashamed to be called your God. He is not ashamed at all. He is identified with you being your God. And he is not ashamed to let others know that he is your God or that you are his child. There is an acceptance here that you cannot find in any other way. He loves you perfectly. He provides you with perfect understanding and purpose in your life. He is the only one who can. As I said before, do not underestimate the power of this reality. This is the giving of himself. This is not about whether or not you have received real estate. This is not about whether or not you have received gold or silver, or if he gives you a few cattle that he has on a hill. This is not about whether or not you have a good job, or if you have plenty of bread to eat, or if you have clothing that you prefer to have to wear. That's not what this is. This is about the giving of himself. In the Old Covenant, the best that you could obtain was the blessings of the flesh. But in the New Covenant, everything you have obtained is the blessings in the Spirit, the very giving of your God to you. He has given himself over to you and has given you everything that you could possibly need for the life that you have now before you. He has given you himself. There is nothing more that he can give. He has given you everything that is. Receive it and grow in your relationship with Him as He has designed for you. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.